Hey gang, welcome to episode 119 of the No Presidium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, another another old school format episode in that we've got, uh, well, not fully old school, Uh We've got one interview. Uh, there's there's no uh, initial segment. Uh, we've got David Ruzicka, who is now the artistic director of Creep LA. Creep, which is opening, open last night. Um, you're listening to this hopefully on Friday. Friday morning's when I'm recording it. Last night's when they opened the show. Uh, this year, Creep is, uh, is uh, tied in with Amazon Prime exclusive series Lore. I'll do a little bit more of that in the actual cold open, but first, let's take care of some business. That's right, I'm gonna talk about the Patreon for a second here. Oh no, fast forward, fast forward. Let's do this a little differently. First, let's thank people, all right? Let's thank the new folks who jumped in, because new folks jumped in this week, and man, is that a relief. Uh, David Mack, Edward Milecreast, and Valerie Petrarca, Thank you all for jumping in and becoming members of No Presidium and and supporting the work. We are now at $400 a month on our way towards our $500 a month goal and then more goals past that. Um, This is a critical time for us in a lot of ways. Uh, we've got some new folks who are, you know, joining the cause. Uh, we do want to, you know, cover their their travel expenses. You know, gas costs money and whatnot. Because um, doing this stuff all the time, uh, it, it, it really gets expensive. Um, we also are, um, you know, we'd like to be a fully functioning independent media organization. Now that would take a lot more than even five hundred dollars a month. That that would take more than five. $5,000 a month, um, particularly since we're based out of LA and New York. Um, so think about it. Uh, if Everything Immersive, which is the Facebook group, uh, if that's something that you enjoy, if uh, the podcast, the newsletter, etc., as always, we're just looking for a dollar. Five bucks is great, but we're just looking for a dollar. Um, there's this old, it is old now, there's this old idea of the thousand true fans, uh, that if an artist could find a thousand true fans uh, to support their work, uh, then they can make that work their actual work. That's the theory we operate on, on the Patreon. $5 is the target for that um, on top of the thousand. You, you can you can do the math there. Um, more on that in the offing. A um, couple of things that I want to do at the top of the show, uh, as opposed to the back end of the show, uh, where I might talk about them a little bit more. One, Faust Fest is this weekend. If you're in New York City, um, Catherine's going to be there. Uh, she's got buttons, and we don't charge for those. Um, Patreon backers, you're getting your buttons. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> we're, we're give the, you're not paying $5 a month to get a button once a year. Um, that's number one. No, uh, number two on the Faust Fest, uh, we still have that discount code. If you're looking to go, if you're thinking about like, oh, maybe last second, NP20. That's 20% off. Anyone who's listening, anyone who hears that, uh, use that to get 20% off your Faust Fest tickets uh, for the weekend or for a day. That's that's totally your choice. Um, I, I Like I said, I wish I was there. Uh, I'm going to be... Uh, at Indicade Night Games on Saturday night. Um, it's not Immersive Heavy this year. I want to want to be clear uh, with you on that. Last year, Immersive Heavy. This year, it just the, didn't work out the way we, we were, were looking for on that. But there's some pretty cool stuff going in there uh, that I'm looking forward to playing. So uh, feel free to drop on by. Uh, night Games is a wonderful event uh, that, uh, that I truly enjoy as a gamer. Um, and um, there was something else. There, there was something else I was going to mention, and it's completely slipped my mind. It'll, it'll, it'll work itself out of the back brain uh, on the other side of the interview. So let's prep for that. David Ruzicka, uh, he arrived last year in Los Angeles like a storm. A storm's coming. coming. Um, and um, 
I've, I've enjoyed all the conversations that I've had with David, and we've been talking about doing this for a while. Uh, this was recorded right after we recorded the episode with him and uh, Kevin and Ian from Delusion, where we did you know, the safety talk. Uh, this, is, this is about David and David's work, because um, David works in the theme park industry. Uh, he's you know, done that for, for a very long time. He comes from a haunt background. And uh, he's been working uh, first on The Willows and now on Creep with Just Fix It Productions and is now the artistic director of Creep LA, uh, which I learned uh, at the start of the interview. I was like, oh, you got a new title. Wow. Um, and that which was very exciting. Like, I'm, I'm very happy with how that company is developing and growing. Um, and, and this year's lore, which is this year's show, uh, which is um, an adaptation of an adaptation of a TV show, which is an adaptation of a podcast. Whoa. Um, and it's all these vignettes. I did the review. There's a review up on No Persinium. You should probably just go there, nopersinium.com. Uh, go there for all your, your immersive needs. That's that's what the point of it. You know that, right? Like, the, the newswire is fully functioning. Like, we're making announcements all the time. There's Q&A sessions. I'll talk about that at the back end. Look, you want to listen to David. I want to listen to David. You don't want to listen to me. So here we go. David Ruzicka, Artistic Director, Creep LA. David, hey. Um, we've been talking for a couple hours now because uh, when we're recording this, we have just recorded the uh, safety panel that we had Kevin and Ian on. Uh, I don't know when this airs relative to that. It might be the next week. It might be a couple weeks later. But uh, for those who want a doubleheader, uh, the way to do this episode is to listen to that one and then drink a bunch of coffee and then listen to this one and you'll be in the exact same headspace we're in. Um, this one's... We'll, we'll, Maybe we'll, we might riff on some stuff we talked about there, but I really wanted this one to be about uh, getting to know you. We've had a lot of great conversations uh, offline, and so we're kind of like overdue to have one on the podcast. So I don't know exactly where we're going to go, but some of that's going to be sort of your your story. So first, sure. what's what's your kind of role in the immersive theater universe right now and and then what's your day job and how are these two things yeah related? which are overlapping more and more as we go along i kind of think of myself as a little bit of like stranger in a strange land coming over here i was living in orlando florida uh up till about a year and a half ago now and in the immersive world i well this always goes into our whole, what do you consider immersive? But we will we'll skip that for now. Um, I have been part of the immersive theater specifically world since I moved out here to LA. And my roles since I've jumped over have kind of been in some consulting roles, mainly for uh, Creep LA and The Willows. I also was uh, a consultant for One Heretic Show uh, that they did in January of this year, I think. And I've just kind of been jumping in as much as I can to all the different bits and pieces of everything as it's been exploding. And my day job that is is in a weird way is the theme park world, which is so fascinated by immersive theater that the two keep like smooshing together in lots of fun ways. Uh, I've worked with Disney and Universal in uh, both production and creative capacity. I was with the Bezark Company when I moved out here to LA and still freelancer with them. And they, the gentleman who is the founder of that company, Adam Bezark, was a was a director and a writer for Universal and Disney. I've done a bunch of stuff in Dubai and China, where a lot of this stuff is still booming in the in the themed entertainment world. And the roles have kind of always been flexible. I at Disney, I started off in sort of the more the production side, and I've sort of convinced people to let me do the creative more and more. And um, and that's kind of where I've been living now, even with Creep. A lot of what I do is creative and conceptual, but even then, uh, as you can imagine, with the scrappy and fun world of immersive theater, I'm still doing a lot of the... When we were working on our most recent production, The Willows, who hopefully people will get to maybe see more of that family someday in the future... Uh, I was doing 
the all sorts of things running around as like a stage ninja in that show, as was the entire crew. So you kind of learn to love um, wearing all the hats, and I've always yeah. worn all the hats, no matter where I've been in this in this stuff. What what keeps you going on being in in both worlds? And, I, and I'm not just asking that for the, the the academic interest of the listeners, but also for my own sanity, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because like when when you have a, a full time stressful day job that calls upon some of the same kind of creative resources, the same sort of minerals and nutrients in your brain that work on this sort of stuff. What keeps you going to flip over and take a busman's holiday and then use all the same skills to get the kids together and put on a show at a professional vibe level at that? Yeah, I mean, when it's working at at full octane, it's the, the problems in one side solve the problems in the other kind of you know the things that that work really well in immersive theater that theme park hasn't really come around to understanding yet will give me little cool insights and then also there's just ways that immersive theater is still benefiting from the you know many 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 years that theme parks have been successful in doing this kind of work Uh, i kind of look at the two worlds i mean the biggest thing that's differentiating for on the whole is the is of course the you know that evil scary word throughput Mm -hmm. um in the theme park world we're putting you know so many people through these experiences and on the whole it's always a struggle to keep that feeling personalized and fun and uh tactile for people yeah and then on the theme park world you you can put in an hour the number of people who some shows put through in their entire run exactly and in in immersive theater, it's kind of the opposite problem in some ways. We we you know we have these great personalized moments, and then when it comes to anything, as soon as our sizes of groups exceed, you know, eight or twelve or whatever people, we often find ourselves struggling to figure out how to keep experiences engaging yeah. for those larger audiences. So yeah. uh, I think the the challenges of both kind of meet each other in the middle really well and the biggest thing for me was i i moved out to la in large part because i was a theme park designer seeing all of the things that the theme park business was doing and then looking at this like weird child all the way across the you know the country and feeling like there was a boom on the cusp and wanting to be a part of it just because so much is getting figured out right now that i didn't want to jump out of the theme park world entirely because I still think that both can can will be merging more and more as we move forward and I really believe and we were talking about this a little bit earlier I really believe that the strange artists and theater makers and technologists of the VR and and immersive theater and extreme theater worlds are who is going to pick up the torch and start to carry the new ideas of the theme park world. Yeah. Well, and the theme park people, you know, have in my mind, without a doubt, you know, that knowledge of how to make this be a business. Right. And how to, how to provide, not just extract value from guests, but provide a platform on which to make these experiences. And it's really heartening to see, you know, the mouse decide, okay, we're going to do that you know, immersive hotel in Orlando for Star Wars because that's what people really, really want. And right. we'll see how much of it really manages to just be more than like, all, oh, this bedroom looks like a bedroom that would be in a movie, you know, uh, or or maybe we'll be, maybe, I mean, that's something maybe even is aspirational because like, you know, you go to the Grand Californian here in um, in California, like the lobby is amazing. And then you open up one of the rooms, you're like, oh, it's a it's a it's a hotel room, you know. Uh, so just hope for themed bedrooms, I guess. But this idea of we can really it sounds cheesy to say it, we can really immerse you in in this world. We can let yourself lose yourself. We can Westworld this sucker. Um, I think that's that's something that every creative wants. Sure, you know, and the and the intention is there. And the other thing I should say too is that a large part of my my day world isn't just theme parks; it's also just themed entertainment experiences in general. So a lot of what we do are cultural centers and museums and um, other things that fit in these sort of liminal boundaries that aren't just entirely theme park. And in those worlds, they've always been flirting with trying to figure out how to 
engage it's really comes down to engagement figuring out yeah. how to engage people personally and either just to purely delight them or in some cases to help teach them without them realizing they're learning anything and you have to kind of use these 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 tools of engagement but it the thing is the 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 Disney experiences, these, you know, the hotel, your, the Star Wars hotel and everything else they're working on right now, this stuff happens pretty s- slowly in yeah. the large scale of our industry. So just the very fact that everybody is expressing clearly an interest in trying to solve this stuff and the Disney teams have been trying to figure it out in small form and extrapolate into the large with some really concrete projects and just that very fact means we may not who knows when we'll get it right but we'll get it right eventually if the same level of mutual excitement continues to be fostered yeah well and there's something interesting in terms of how it feeds into what's happening in the theater world in in a business sense is that you have all these people who are figuring out how to direct this stuff, figuring out how to perform in these contexts. And that's building a generation of creatives who know how to work this stuff from the ground up, which is which is very different from where we were five, ten years ago in terms of their, you know, not necessarily being a sort of native's the wrong word, but sort of a native talent pool who are really good at making this sort of material and who can get sort of, you know, conscripted to be part of these larger deals. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think that I always love that hearing the the stories of all of these immersive creators, not only do they continue to be in the middle of the show every operational night, but most of them, you know, are pretty, pretty well known story. I think at this point with Creep is that Justin Fix kind of came from being an actor and saying, I'm, I want to, I, I get these opportunities, but I want to kind of create opportunities for a whole core of performers I think that 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 spirit still pays dividends. I I remember very vividly one of the pieces of 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 feedback I got from uh, somebody in the creative themed entertainment world was he said the best thing that I ever had in my background and my resume was that I had worked in operations at Disney and Universal. Like I was a my my very first Disney job was as a uh, attractions host slash ride operator for Kali River Rapids at Animal Kingdom. I did that. I was at Space Mountain in Magic Kingdom in, in Orlando. I worked as a character attendant for entertainment. And I think that when you start off, whether you're an actor or a technician or uh, any of these different disciplines, manage you know stage management on the floor, figuring problems out, that never really goes away. Yeah. And I think that that, that spirit is something I see a lot in the immersive people because in in the very well delineated world of theme parks you kind of know who the production manager is and who the producer is and who the creative director is and who the writer is in most of the stuff that the immersive world is doing that there's really everybody just does everything yeah. when i first did haunted attractions when i was like 13 or 14 I I wasn't thinking about if I was the writer or the director or the producer. I was just saying, let's put these walls up and 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 get a show figured out. So yeah. that that spirit is really going to help those creators remember what it's like to to be the person who has to run this thing and be the person who's a guest too. Let's talk about that uh, haunted attractions at thirteen. Tell us that story. Okay. Uh, so my very first, I was living in North Carolina, in a little town called Cary which is sort of the Raleigh-Durham Triangle area. And I wanted to put something on ever since I, I... I was a huge diehard Disney fan as a kid. I was, of course, a big fan of the Haunted Mansion and Disney World. And I stumbled upon, in, in the internet, Kevin McCurdy's Haunted Mansion, which was a different attraction in New York. It was actually a haunted attraction, and I'd never heard of them before, uh, which was really curious to me and so I did all this research I've always that's number one thing I do is just research everything all the time and got it in my head uh, at 13 that I was going to start to work on haunted attractions so I went to the country club manager of a local country club and asked what they thought about that and if they'd ever thought about doing like a seasonal event and he said oh yeah sure you can have our 3,000 square foot maintenance shed as like a 13 year old kid (laughs) trying to figure out how to do this so I was like okay perfect and just kind of had to BS my way through the the very first one but yeah I I started off doing traditional haunt walkthroughs and my first I first went pro with it that was kind of my 
my just trying to figure it out for the neighborhood sort of thing. My first like professional shows I did around 15 or 16. I started actually like putting together a show that made a profit into the, the subsequent years and started consulting for, for various different uh, groups. I consulted for the North Carolina Zoo at one point. I got to, through a, a sort of an early mentor, Leonard Pickle, who is a big part of the haunted attraction industry even now, help consult some stuff over in like Malaysia and across the across the world at Whoa. a pretty young age. I was really fortunate. Leonard also published an article that I wrote about misdirect, misdirection and uh, haunted attractions when I was probably f- still 15 or 16. So he kind of gave me a good early boost. So you're sort of a spooky wonder kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> I'm not sure what it was about the haunt uh, world that grabbed me so much, but I, I've always been, when I, the, the very youngest I can ever remember, I was always drawing. I remember I, 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 I wrote... Uh, I was telling the creep folks about this not too long ago. I, I was like into opera when I was a kid and I wrote a an opera based on the story of uh, of Peter Stube, who was the wolf, the man who thought he was a werewolf oh, yeah. in Germany, yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, spoiler alert may end up, you know, our, our, the werewolf world may be part of some of our upcoming uh, productions with creep. But oh, anyway, that's, that's so it's kind was- of. Someone was talking about that story the other night uh, in, in, in that context. Okay, now, good. Now yeah, I understand. Yeah. It's kind of come full circle a little bit. Yeah. But anyway, so I, so I wrote this I wrote this show, and I think it was... That's what it's all about. The, the, honestly, let's pause for a second. That's what it's all about. It's yeah. like getting things to come full circle. And oh, yeah. So it's the stuff that you've been holding on for like 10, 15, 20 years. It's like, oh, finally, I know how to do it. Mm-hmm. I have all the tools, and now the masterpiece. That's, yeah, that's yeah. so true. Yeah, <laughs> I was in my like, lab coat and maniacally laughing as a, as a kid trying to figure it out. But uh, yeah, so I, I did my... Um, um, I was drawing for this this opera thing, and I always wanted to have guests walk through something before they got to the actual proscenium show mm. and interact with performers. And I didn't really know what that was at the time, but I think I've always been. I, I, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design, and I did a little bit of like TV and film, but I've always been kind of a live experience junkie. Yeah, and I think it's what continues to drive the work that we're all doing right now is to keep the live experience at the level of, of, of importance that it sort of deserves in society. Yeah. We, we, we're kind of having more things happen in general, which is great. More technology, the better. But I think we also are trying to hold on to the, the importance of having a one-on-one moment with a real live person or something you can touch. Well, and, and one of the things there is that it's, it's, it's not there yet, but it's starting to become more economically feasible and make more economic sense to have the live experience because all of the digital stuff can be pirated. Right. You know, we just had the worst summer box office season in 15 or 20 years or something like that. I, I don't pay as much attention as I used to. Mm. And, you know, and Hollywood wants to blame that on Rotten Tomatoes. But, you know, the, the real blame starts with the fact that, like, they're just making junky movies that no one really wants to see when they make they made a couple of good ones this summer and those did really well and everything else no one cared about but also you know they know that three months from now they're gonna be three months from now they're gonna be on netflix so like why bother why drag myself to the movie theater and and take all that effort to go see something and pay extra money when i'm gonna get it for free within a year and if it doesn't hit above a a cultural threshold if it doesn't hit a at a point of like, everyone's talking about this. I got to be part of the conversation. There's no reason to make it. That's one thing that's interesting. Uh, is a double-edged sword in the in our immersive world is that everyone wants to be part of that conversation once they're once they're gated in. Before they're gated in, they don't know what's going on. It's like, what is this thing? I don't know. Like, I'm kind of curious, but like, is it scary? Is it this way? I'm not sure. Am I going to be okay? But once you're inside and you got the bug, you just need more of it. And I look at my the the biggest analog for me is the um, you know concerts. Hmm. It's like I pay ten dollars a month to Apple, and I chose Apple instead of Spotify just because I had a bunch of stuff in iTunes already. So it's seamless. I don't have to learn a new interface. They were gonna screw with iTunes anyway, so it's just like whatever. Screw with iTunes. All my stuff's in there. All the new stuff's in there. I don't know what's old and what's new anymore. It's just like give me my albums, and I don't have to think about it. And I don't go. I mean, I buy vinyl now, but like that's another that's another dorky <laughs> thing. That's for the experience of it. Everything's cyclical, right? Everything's cyclical. But like for the most part, um, the the music is 
free. It's like two fifty a week, basically. And if I really care, I go to a concert. And that's where the artists make their money, is, is there, the concerts, the merch. You know, vinyl is essentially a form of merch. It's like a, a religious, totemic object. Uh, our, our immersive theater pieces, those can't be pirated, even when we have VR. Even when right. we have light field capture VR, which is something we were talking when we were, we were refueling on caffeine, you know, we, we got dorky about light field capture, which is a really, really exciting technology that's going to give people the ability to walk around, you know, sets and spaces um, with, with real actors. Yeah, and the room scale VR world, all of that stuff, to be able to actually bridge those two and have tactile things that you can see in the environment and then reach out and touch or yeah. be touched by in some yeah. cases. And 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 there's going to be some crude haptics going on at first. And and one day, hopefully, we'll get to the holodeck and then it'll all sort of be kind of, of course. moot. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's probably past our lifetimes. You never know. I don't know. Yeah. You never know. But like it's probably past our lifetimes. And in the interim, we've got this thing that can engage all the senses. And that's this... Immersive theater, it's it's a highly, you know, bespoke's the wrong word, but like it's it's a highly intimate uh, themed experience. It's drop a few people in a room with an actor, let the actor, you know, make physical contact with people and ground people into the moment. Um, and that's something that the, our lives don't allow us to do most of the time. Yeah, and I think we're the thing that people get addicted to about attending these experiences is the same thing that makes live theater so compelling in general, just seeing live people figure stuff out mm-hmm. a little bit, even if it's the minute. You, we all know what the, the program is, and we know where we're supposed to be to hit our marks, and we know when cues are supposed to happen, but there's still never a part that's that totally goes away watching a live performer or if a creator is, is manipulating the show live, just watching that, that those moments of us all trying to figure this thing out as the guest experience evolves is it's a, it's a, there's a little bit of walking the tightrope in it that I think everybody can feel that things could still, you know, that, that a performer could, could try something and it either goes really right or it doesn't quite go right. But then the next time they learn from that is, is really compelling to, to us as a, as a general audience. So that's going to, you know, keep most of these people trying to figure it out. We were talking earlier when you think about a, like a live theater or an immersive theater performer uh, in, in, in the sense that we're referring to them, they have, to basically be the performer, the stage manager, and the director of their own little moment because they have to be aware of what the guests need to do yeah. operationally. They have to be directing where guests are standing, their point of view. They have to still be a fun and interesting performer for people to watch or a moving performer to watch. And there's a lot of, of that that I think gets the fuel going for people in a bunch of different disciplines of creative things right now. Yeah, that... that- that whole fact that, you know, when you're there in the moment, it's even when it's scripted and controlled and hopefully, you know, as per our safety uh, mm-hmm. episode, it's, it's, it's really controlled. It's still a moment. It's yep. still a real moment. And you haven't put these two people in that space together before. You don't know what the alchemy is going to be. Um, that's exciting. Uh, it's always a new performance. Uh, it's, it, and I think that's something that the actors definitely like really get into is like, they don't know, they don't know who their scene partner is going to be for the next sequence. But going back a bit, this idea of the scale, right? Cause this is, this is the, 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 the tricky formula. It's like, how do we go from like the, I mean, a one-on-one, you know, it's not easy, but it's surmountable. Hmm. Right. Uh, I think at this point, you know, if, if someone's a student of the form, they can pretty much figure out, you know, how to make a one-on-one work. A large-scale experience tends to be about, you know, shoving a lot of people past a lot of props and set pieces and, and maybe have some performances happen just at a slight distance. This middle ground of, what is it when it's 16, 20, 25, 35, f- the 40-person audience? This is still pe- think a nut that people are trying to to crack 
Yeah, and I think the the best conversations I've had about this are the ones where it's funny you mentioned concerts because it kind of goes back to that same spirit or the spirit of going to a big stadium, you know, uh, game is is all of those people feel personally engaged in that moment mm. and there are how many people attending Thousands. a large concert yeah. or a large you know or a large like uh you know um football game or something yeah um and i think that that's where we're really going to see is trying to figure out the 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 magic of how do you in- engage people in that I, one of the most interesting cases i've seen recently is um this upcoming season for not scary farm they took one of their uh, experiences and and put it in the dark, and are giving guests an interactive uh, flashlight to work with, and they are able to basically let the a large, fairly large group, you know, what we think of as like a like a large throughput group that goes through a haunted attraction maze, like a Universal or a Knotts, and are giving the guests now agency to say, oh, I want to look over here, or I want to look over there. I think that's the you know, we're not going to be able to give every single guest a one-on-one moment, but if you give them a a rich space to explore and give them some sense of agency to choose where they want to look at, what they want to engage with, and sort of set it up well, there's going to be opportunities for everybody in those large groups to still find that little thing that they feel like they had some control in being in, in activating, you know, yeah. that it wasn't just happening at them or in front of them, that they kind of caused that moment to happen. So so that's that's definitely valid. And I think that there are also just a lot of the tools when it comes to how do you tell an engaged, personalized story that that will be able to borrow in the themed entertainment high capacity world from immersive theater. Uh, it's it's less so how do you actually figure out how to structure like all these tracks. Yeah. And it's more about how to to approach the the um, moments of that. It's what we just talked about that like tricky appearance of spontaneity while still being controlled that you can actually do in these like large throughput groups. But you just have to. It's not going to be as literal as oh, we're going to figure out a way to magically make you know three thousand people get a chance to all have one on one moments in an experience. Uh, you know, it really is going to come down to what I think is starting to happen with like Disney's Star Wars work and some of the other things. Ghost Town Live, Alive, I think. Oh yeah, Ghost Town, um, Ghost Town Live is great. And uh, I, I saw Ghost that Town. recently. Yeah. And I think that the thing that is amazing about all of that, I, I used to be one of the stage managers for the Citizens of Hollywood in Hollywood Studios in Orlando, which if folks don't know who that is, it's the uh, atmospheric group that populates Hollywood Studios throughout the day. Um, and there are a few different groups that they're like a group from there's, there's a group that's the, that lives in the 1940s perpetually and a couple other groups that all are basically programming their day actively every day to, Put, they're, they're trying to figure out their experiences every day. It's not just the same program. Like they mm. have bits, but they're they're always trying new stuff. And and I think what has, has always been fascinating for me is seeing the moments when those atmospheric groups get encouraged to um, to stay part of the operational model because it's really easy to uh, look at live performers acting atmospherically in a park and say well, it's not really quantifiable in the same way that. I buy merchandise or I buy food. So, and it's not on a big billboard, like the major e-ticket attraction. So do we really need someone dressed as a newsman? Right. Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah, it's not going to really drag people in at the high speed fervor that we prefer. So it's the startling at the soda shop, you know, like it doesn't have quite the same ring. So, (laughs) um, so it's tricky because those moments, they start off like a lot of these experiences start off with a live performer and, they almost always either get cut or scaled back in the amount of of what they're doing, and that's across the board, because people have haven't quite yet figured out that there's a there's a value in just building that in and keeping that as an embedded part of the experience for guests. That's yeah. the thing they're going to remember. What's fascinating about Disney is the almost always the thing people come away saying that they liked the most was the way that the cast members talked to them, the yeah. way that they talked to their kids, yeah, and. You know, why shouldn't it be the same way for a performer? This stuff, top to tail, whether we're talking about the big stuff or, or, or the small stuff, it comes down to that human interaction, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and then, you know, if you get like an audio electronic thing involved, sometimes it 
well, sometimes it comes down to like what felt like a human interaction. And then sometimes it comes down again to a human interaction if they have like a camera going through and they have someone controlling the character from behind the scenes. This, yeah. this idea of we're looking for connection. Right. And, you know, until until there are actual droids, mm-hmm. until there are Westworld robots. Yeah. Until we're not out in the like in uncanny valley all the time where yeah. it's like horrifying when you see a robot try to be a human yeah uh, which who knows when we'll get there but yeah and 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 then and then you know then we're in an actual Westworld situation and right. that, that has its own you know questions and you know dealings of the moral philosophy about you know sentient robots you know I mean like we, we understand that's where this is all going yeah. but we'll like, all be doomed eventually yeah so it's fine. I mean it's not it I don't feel it's our responsibility to deal with those questions I no. mean look we just deal with Asimov's three laws we're, we'll, yeah, we'll exactly. get through it I'm just um, listen I'm just here to just, just theme park woo we're gonna go on a ride and eat cotton <laughs> yeah. candy that's, that's, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah I'm not worried about the yeah, I, I'm just here explosions. to play in the snow yeah. so um <laughs> gods what's um you consume a lot of immersive theater what yeah. Are, I'm gonna ask you two things. Okay. I'm gonna start with this one. This is one of the new questions. What show, say for the past year, that you didn't work on, did you wish you had either it either created or worked on? Hmm. What would you have loved to have been? Oh, I wish that was my baby. Warts and all, as ugly as the baby might be. Yeah, you know, there's. It's hard to to reduce down to like like one. I mean, I will say just from what I've. I, I can't, this one doesn't count because I haven't experienced it yet. But I'm pretty jealous of everything I've heard about Waking La Llorona. So yeah, um, it's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't know. I here's here's the ones that I've really been been blown away by. You know, Tension Experience was one of the very first things I did when I moved out here, and I think the thing that I was intrigued by with that show more than anything was again that feeling of the show was being f- it didn't they knew where they wanted to take it but but there's something really appealing to me and i hope it's true for other people too i, I imagine it has to be that every night something will happen that will never happen again the entire run of the show on purpose um so i think that that was really intriguing to me the other one that i i that i have was impressed by just in terms of scale and the sheer or, you know, arithmetic almost of it was um, was the third uh, part of the Johnny cycle, Speakeasy mm. Societies, because they they really are, have been we're playing with a scale that I don't think has been seen too much yet. And again, the the the, the mind boggling amount to which you could return and see something completely different in your experience. You know, those things they still that's the magic for me is, and that's what kind of captivates me a little bit personally. So, you know, this, all of that is is definitely is real. I mean, I'm also a weirdo, extreme haunt person who actually like will go to that stuff. I was I was telling Noah um, that one of the first things I did when I got here out here was Heretics Riot Violence, which was a, a extreme horror show based on uh, a Philip K. Dick novel. Don't hear about that every day. Yeah, and. Um, I, which, I, which novel? Uh, Velis. So, oh, so yeah, yeah, they did Velis. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, and and it was I was kind of blown away by that because the the thing that I believe in so much right now is a directorial vision in this stuff. I had, had never done an extreme haunt before. I had no idea what I was getting into. But I was really impressed by the moments of it was almost like live for that one. It was almost like living in a, a video game um, or like being on like a roller coaster made out of human beings. Like everything that happened was intensely choreographed. But I, I knew, you know, it, it, there was a protagonist, there was an antagonist, like it had all of the tools. But you were so directly involved in the story that I was kind of like. You know, I didn't know it could be this way, sort yeah. of. So, so that was like one of the very first things I did when I got out here, and um, I think about it all the time. That experience, it's very vivid to me because the, those the little moments and the big moments and and the messy moments, as there often are in extreme shows, were all really uh, well well thought of from a clear directorial perspective. Yeah. And um, I think that's that's what's really been still unt- is still being tapped and hasn't been fully tapped about our our world right now yeah because there's this tension between the the sandbox form and how much agency in letting the audience have a lot of agency and the dark ride form and sort of really channeling people through a vision and you know I, i gotta say like you know 
sandbox, I feel like, requires a level of resources that most people can only aspire to, to like really get right. Because uh, you can wind up just feeling like, oh, there's, there's not a, no one thought enough about what to put into this play box mm-hmm. or, the, or or it can even be like you've got the wrong number of people in there so it's like oh everyone else is playing with all the other toys and I'm stuck here with the sand right you know um, and it, and it's so dependent too on on you know I mean I think I've, I've I've been been aware of a couple of shows that are somewhat open world or sandbox in in across the country and and have had troubles because the local and visitors didn't really understand what it was yeah and it's about setting up expectations for that kind of thing that that part is really really tricky yeah. and i think it's easier to go from like a dark ride where people are like oh i just wish i could have had a little more say and yeah like, ah, next time you will right exactly yeah. exactly because i think the 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 maybe the myth about the open world thing when you're constructing it is that it's easier to build because all you have to do is <laughs> is put a big open room and put enough stuff in it yeah, i think the, no. the 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 you know harsh cold reality is you have to over you have to overprogram that sucker to an almost insane level yeah. to keep guests interested in it because otherwise they just don't care. Yeah, you have to have like 100 125% minimum of what you think you need in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like just yeah. keep on adding in elements and realizing that there's going to be whole things that like people never interact with. Like mm-hmm. oh they never found the this. Right. And and most of it has to be optional cuz like there's there's there there are rooms that have had stuff in them that um, you know definitely were like oh yeah there's this density of it and it's like yeah but could anyone find it to like make that those levers go like there's there's a whole level of you know I don't want to say tricking the audience but like misdirection's a big important part you know like the illusion of agency is huge Uh, the illusion of choice um, these things can wind up contributing very well to to a great experience. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And you know, I think that that when it works right, you're you're exactly correct that it will feel like you had twelve choices when in reality you were always only being steered towards one or two. Yeah, and the potential seems like it was there. That's really the the but you know the the magic of it. There is a whole lot of like prestidigitation mm-hmm. involved in getting it right. I mean, I that was before I did haunts. I did magic as well, and I think sleight of hand. You know, I'm hearing, and I think you've had folks on the show before that yeah. that that come from a how does this work mechanically from like a from a from a magical point of view is is going to be something that our industry should be studying really carefully because it's oh, gonna yeah. it's gonna help those moments really. You know, a magician knows what every time what the audience reaction should be and they've they're they've developed like honed to a science like exactly what's going to happen in those moments and it, it's supposed to look like a totally um impromptu moment of you know of you know of chaos but it's very tightly controlled and i think that what we should be doing as an industry is sort of taking those moments writ large you know making them making the, the you know that's why i think uh from what i'm aware of like then she fell show um ghostlight you know having some of those elements and some of the other productions playing with the the misdirection and and tricks that have existed for a long time in in this format are going to be keeping people on their toes in a really cool way and keeping them from glazing over at the sheer amount of material that they have to try to process. You know, if I walk into a show, I'm I'm a really, I, I take pride in being an extremely dumb guest when I go <laughs> to any show. Um, I, I uh, Ricky Briganti's show, When Shadows Fall, I went as a guest and I, um, I tried to open a door the wrong way about three times and then one of the actors was like, oh, it's just this way. Like basically had to like push me through the experience. But I was like, you know what? I'm proud of being a dumb guest because... Uh, uh, it always helps me um, uh, when I'm running through our shows now. I totally am the dumb guest because it helps us realize those moments where things aren't quite working yeah. and you have to anticipate. I'm not saying all of our guests are dumb. Most of them are very, very smart, but you have to be ready for for kind of anything. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the mission. Um, speaking of your shows, yes. um, Willows is on hiatus. Mm-hmm. Yep. The uh, the Willows family is, you know, off off doing what they all the wonderful things that they enjoy doing so much in that mysterious mansion and uh they might come you know bring some more folks in for celebrations in the future we'll have to ask them and then and then creep is returning yes creep is returning 
we uh, we we've had you know some uh, some some really great stuff come forward with this new uh, production. Uh, we we have made some announcements that there's there's you know a, a partnership we're working with uh, Amazon Prime uh, Video and Amazon Studios folks to uh, develop some work based on uh, the podcast lore uh, by Aaron Menke and so that's going to hopefully give us some really cool material to work on for our fall show and it's it's um it we've been we've been running fast and crazy to get it ready it's we're in we're in the middle of building and rehearsing everything right now and it's um it's going to be it's going to be kind of a hybrid of it, it's funny as as the as the team has been developing material i think people will see this show be kind of a hybrid um child of the willows and creep last year mm. it's a little bit of a traditional walkthrough in in format but the moments that will happen in it are anything but traditional haunted attraction it's got kind of this the interactivity and uh performer engagement style of like a willows but but you know <laughs> stapled against its will <laughs> to uh to a haunt walkthrough format so it should be really fun we, we've been running through it and it's uh it's it, it's gonna be it'll be a nice way for people to get a little bit of the fright but also a little bit of this kind of mold of of new interactivity oh that's fun and and another example of much like you know we had out of uh comic-con and right after comic-con where there were these activations from sort of these big studios and we had the westworld activation we had Mm. we had blade runner we had big little lies happen um and and the difference here being that you guys get a you get a full normal spooky season run uh, yeah and not just like a a weekend in san diego of whoever you know wants to camp out you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but like, still, like, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, it's true. We've been really fortunate with it, and you know, I I think we've all been inspired by those those runs of of productions where it's what you were saying. You know, Amazon has been one, just like with with HBO and with some of these other partners. They're all starting to see this like location based entertainment field really yeah. really grow. And uh, I, yeah, I'm gonna wonder. Not to derail, but like you know, it's done really well, yes. and I know You're that it it is an it. Yeah, it okay, yes, it it uh, it as in it as all in capital the, it. Uh, yes, yeah. the Stephen King uh, adaptation, uh, and and we know that a single haunted house pop up in Hollywood is not the thing that made it a hundred million dollar opening weekend or mm. whatever whatever's happening right now as we're recording this. But I also gotta wonder if that if that did not help with the buzz locally and then the buzz locally becomes part of the buzz nationally, this sort of like fervor. You know, will they particularly in a year when things are really down for the box office, will they point and say, Hey, this helped our buzz what would happen if we did one of these in every major city? Right. Which is, yeah, I, that's why I keep hoping nothing but like the most success for these specifically, these kinds of things right now, because yeah. as as long as they keep succeeding, um, other groups that haven't been in the immersive theater world are going to get more and more interested in taking immersive companies and, and you know, using their talents really yeah. well. And, and they yeah. are. And like, that's the thing is like, uh, I don't know who set up the the Nybolt House, uh, and I, I I passed up my chance to go because I was just like really tired the night. I was like, look at my tickets. I don't want to drive. Uh, but you know, the person who's managing that venue uh, is a per, was a performer in Cavell. Hmm. So like th- these jobs are going to our people. Yeah, which is which is so great to see. And I think you know the because of the run of that production. I think like like any pretty much there'll be a chance for anybody who really wants to see it to see it, which is fantastic. And considering the amount of time it probably took to mount it, when we went through, it was just I was really impressed by what they pulled off, you know, in 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 the sort of you know with all of the challenges that that you know finding a location or setting up a show may may uh, portend you know it's been really uh, great to see a show like that do do what it's doing and um i think that yeah people are starting to factor this stuff into their appetite of entertainment which is which is really great so yeah. um but yeah it is great to see you know our people um starting to do you know this stuff for for other for other folks and there's a couple uh, studios that I'm aware of who are still playing with this and and may have some cool things coming up in the in the future just on the basis of 
uh, uh, the works that are really doing well. You know, the Blade Runner thing floored so many people. Westworld floored so many people because of what it is. And I think uh, Brian Bishop from The Verge had that article about, you know, Game of Thrones doing their escape room sort of experience. You know, the, the that, that was the first time, I think, in recent memory at least, where the 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 tools of our trade were starting to be used for the sort of quasi you know marketing purposes yeah. and and that you know that was a real eye opener for i think a lot of people on both sides yeah i, I walked past there was a it was weird i was in hollywood and highland and like some storefront had next to the hot topic had been turned into a mummy escape experience mm-hmm. brought to us by scrap games and star vr so i'm not entirely certain what's going on there and also it was for the mummy so i really didn't care and i kind of looked at it i was like oh i feel bad for you guys this is this is being done for the mummy and i think it might be related to imax vr okay yeah uh because like the imax vr is like standing up and and but that's the thing is like if it is what i think it is it's like scrap designed an escape room for vr based on the mummy that's being put in close to where IMAX screens are and you know if it just happened if that movie had done if that movie had been worthwhile then people would be buzzing about it mm, um, for sure you know luckily we've got something on that scale for Star Wars happening at you know the Disney parks and maybe something maybe maybe there'll be something because there was this it's funny they keep on picking to these VR things where some of this design language gets pulled in, they keep on picking movie properties that fail. So it's going to be like mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed, The Mummy. And it's like, and and hopefully the studios aren't going like, oh man, we're wasting so much money on these VR things. You know, they're not helping our, our films at all. And it's like, no, you keep on putting it's the, yeah, these right. Might bad, not be the whole thing. Yeah, yeah right. It's the other okay. way around, guys. Like put, put one of these VR things on a good film and suddenly people will be spending money. Like, because why would I want to spend time in a world that, that sucks. <laughs> right. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, you, that is I ideal. You want to try in a world that sucks. I wake up every true. day in a world that it's sucks. It's so true. But, so. you know, the, the I mean, I've not experienced it, but I'm aware that, like, the Void, the Ghostbusters experience up in New York, you know, I mean, I think that those, there's That's so many properties too, that, yeah. that can, yeah. that can, that can be, that people are craving to have some kind of real engagement with. And why they never opened that up on the West Coast? Like, this mm. is the thing that drives me nuts. It's like, mm-hmm. we, we still live in a land of things being instanced. You know, yeah, and like, and particularly when it comes to things like VR, like it doesn't need to be instanced. Or like we see in the escape room world, rooms that will be farmed out and like you know pop up in a couple of different places. But usually they'll change the name, and so people don't know. So there are people who go like, "I've been in the same room twice now," because they called it something which, different. Which is going to happen more. I, I always say that the uh, when I was in Orlando, when escape rooms were starting to pick up. I think it's kind of matched the boom of them over here. Yeah. Uh, I, I really do expect, and it may already kind of be happening, that escape rooms are going to be like the new miniature golf course of Orlando. Like there's going to be like a little escape room on every corner, pretty oh, much yeah, yeah, that yeah. that that people will factor into their into their visit. So yeah, that, that and that's the good and the bad. It's like the stuff is very easily accessible now, but then the you know the the bear you know the, the burden is on us to keep it really yeah. engaging. So. Well, that's a whole other thing. Yep. Like micro amusement parks and like things True. like Mail Wolf. Oh my God. Well, we've been at this for a while. Um, we could do this longer and we'll do this again. Uh, is there anything, you know, we, we've covered the upcoming creep. Anything else we should know about before we, uh, we we head off into the Sunday sunset here? Oh, there's so much I wish I could say, but I can't really <laughs> right now. Hopefully soon. Endless tease. Um, yeah, I know, of course. But no, it's, uh, uh, yeah, our creep production should be really fun. And um, it's just a, you know, even with, there being some shows that are that are on hiatus or some things that aren't happening in the fall season, I still feel like there's nothing but but good coming out and in, in terms of how much more this stuff is growing. Yeah. And uh, I certainly will say that I wish I had more time to go see every single thing that's out there. Tell so, me about it. So it that's that's you know that's a great position for us all to be in. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah. and that idea of like you know things being on hiatus but coming back, I think a lot of people you know they're getting this. There might be people out there who are fans of this stuff or even creators thinking like, oh, well, once we retire a show, we can't bring it back. You know, in the Southland, that's just just, – just disabuse yourself of that notion mm. because in New York, there's some shows like Eight Players and Curiosities that, you know, they'll, they'll do a short run. They'll go away for a while. They'll come back and they'll sell out. So the model – 
is there. Don't worry about that. Amen. Like the audience will return. The only real trick is like, can you get, can you get, you know, people who haven't done this stuff yet through the doors? Right. Because as soon as it returns, a lot of audience is going to be like, yeah, I get to go back. You know? Yes. Like, yeah. Got that, yeah. You know? I think we're all trying to figure out, yeah, how to keep exposing new people to this, get the word out, and then also just continue to not suck. Yeah. Those are the challenges. Yeah. And and you know what? I think there's a challenge to the to the audience for this stuff, particularly people. Like we love the fact that there are people who 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 love this stuff enough to go back two three times. If you're if you're doing that, bring a friend who hasn't been. Yes. Like if you got a show that you really love, I hope that you're bringing your friends who who haven't done. And I think it, a lot of you are. And like yeah. kudos to that, you are doing the community a massive service when you do. And I think that that's going to help demystify some of the. I mean, I think what's really cool about our business, without getting too long winded about it, from my perspective, is there are shows that are happening that aren't just like I think horror was where it started. We're going to see more and more things that are comedy, which is great. We're mm-hmm. going to see things that are um, you know dramas that are that are immersive, things that aren't just the horror genre and people are going to realize holy shit this stuff isn't just um you know scary it can be so much more and i think that's going to be a if i could make one plea to our industry it's start thinking about how you can throw what what do you do when you take a a comedic show and make it immersive you know well that's that's sort of interesting for me is because like i came from this uh, being in the immersive theater zone and like last year was when the horror part kind of hit the immersive theater it's like we it was the, the the chocolate and peanut butter moment and that really supercharged uh, the fan base mm. because you had the horror fan base who like are like really into like you know checking out new things and they're very very willing to be experimental and be experimented on and so this year has really been about like the absorption of that and now there's new vistas to be had and you even see like a show like Betwixt which is still using some of the techniques out of an extreme haunt show in terms of how physical and forceful is being used but it's being done to pretty different ends and how their language will emerge and change and and just finding new pathways through uh, as we as we build this um, this new medium yeah those will be the new gateways so yeah cool David thanks for coming on the show yeah thank you Once again, want to thank David Ruzica for being our guest on the show today. You can find tickets to Creep Lore at creepla.com. And there'll be there'll be more coming down the pike from the good folks at Creep and Just Fix It Productions soon enough, I am sure. That's not insider information, by the way. Uh that's that's just that's just confidence. This is confidence there. I, I do possess it when it when it comes to other people. Um, yeah. So, uh, so now's our time, huh? It's, it's, uh, it's been a week. Are you happy to have Zay hosting? I know, I know you were. I was happy to have Zay hosting. Um, I'm, I'm tired this week, so there's not going to be no big, you know, rant. I'm tired because we're doing so much right now. I also, maybe it was up to three o'clock in the morning. Um, we are doing so much right now. It's spooky season, so there's shows left and right. I caught Creep this week on the press review. Again, there's the, the review there. In that review, um, I kind of took, took the, a soapbox moment to talk about some of the, the troubles in Los Angeles uh, of late. We're working on those. We, we literally have meetings with the city. We're, we're fighting here. We're fighting here for you. Um, speaking things in the city, Carly Blair uh, did the Q&A with uh, Rogue Artists Ensemble about their new show, uh, Kaiden Project, Walls Grow Thin, which opens next week. We just released that on the website. We've got some stuff uh, in the queue from Boston coming up. We've got a piece uh, that starts to get into some video game stuff, like video game and narrative and immersive. Uh, uh, KJ's whipped that up for us. Um, um there's there's so much there's so much more I want to tell you there's there's a couple of things oh god that was the third thing that I wanted to say at the start of the show oh man this is really bad um immersive design summit in San Francisco in January that's one of the things I've been working on we um look we just put a deal in place it'll keep the empire out of here um if all goes according to schedule we will be announcing the first wave of guests next week. We are very stoked. This is a collaboration between uh, myself, 
Steve Boyle at Epic Immersive and Gabe Smeardren at Adventure Design Group. Guys, I'm running off without notes, so apologies for like any kind of like CD stutter that happened there. Um, we've been working on this thing uh, as like our our like what's the word for like the sixth project that's constantly going on that uh, for months now um, we've we're going to be able to announce the location. I, th- I think we're going to announce the location. We're just we're super stoked. We're super stoked about this thing. Um, this one is for creators, uh, for the community We're we're pulling people from around the country. Um, we're, we're really hoping to see a lot of your faces there, um, as we chart the course for, um, sort of the state of the art in immersive design, uh, across the multiple mediums that, that contain it. Um, yeah, immersivedesignsummit.com. Sign up to get on the email announcements. Um, the The number of people who are able to attend is going to be pretty small, so um, you're 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 gonna want to get on the list, and you're gonna want to get the information sooner rather than later. Because once we start, once we start opening up the ability to get um, to get in, uh, I expect it to like close out, you know, fairly fairly swiftly as these things go. Um, more on that next week, uh, probably in a big way. I should probably have Steve on the show. We'll do a remote. That's a good idea. Someone make a note of that. Remind me that I said that. Steve, you listen to the show. Remind me that I said that I need to have you on the show next week. Gabe, if you're listening, you too, buddy. Um, okay, look. Uh, there's there's a bunch of stuff at the website this week. In fact, there's so much stuff at the website, I can't even remember all the things we did. Um, I am going to try and get out in everything immersive this week. We haven't done those in two weeks. I think this week really warrants it. Um, there's, it's just, it's overwhelming. It's literally overwhelming right now. Um, this, this could be, uh, two people's full-time jobs, uh, and it's, it's none of our full-time jobs. So let me put this out there. Um, let me put that, this out there in a real way. Uh, we are have always been an independent media organization. No, are you selling out? Oh, no, 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 no one would buy us anyway, but that's not, that's not what's happening right now. What I'm, what I want to do is I want to do this. We are open to talking with folks, uh, of many scales about underwriting and supporting the work that we're doing. So if you're out there, and um, the, the, what we will not do, what we will never do, never do, is we will not take ads, paid ads, for immersive or interactive shows or escape rooms or anything like that to run in the newsletter, to run in on the, the website as an ad block. We are definitely, as you know, we're open to doing, you know, in-kind sponsorships. If you've got, you know, codes that you want to give away to get people in, uh, we're open to, you know, hosting things, you know, of that nature. Um, we're not going to become a ticket broker. Uh, I'm not interested in selling, you know, early access to tickets for people. I think that just shuts people out of the process. The problem we have right now with a lot of shows is that there's too many tickets, uh, not enough tickets to go around. So I'm not trying to make it harder on anybody to get tickets uh, by making it easier for some. Um, that's not something we're interested in doing. If you're out there and you're looking to grow um, this world and you've got a product or you are, you are a company and you want to, you know, get involved with us in, in some financial situation, uh, you know, talk to me. Uh, you know that I'm, uh, there's plenty of stuff I'm going to say no to because, um, it doesn't, it will feel like, eh, that doesn't feel like that's, 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 you know, really helping the community out or, or the, the readers and the listeners really need that. Um, but there's other stuff, you know, uh, we're game. We need, we need it. We need it. I don't, I'm not a good businessman. Um, <laughs> that's obvious. 
the other side of it is that you no, know, we really do need the Patreon. Um, our sustaining backer, of course, is Ross Sigworth. Um, we're we're gonna look at doing some restructuring um, to to maximize what's going on here. Um, there there may be there may be some some. I feel weird about doing things like oh, there's a twenty five dollar tier now where you get blankety blank, you know, right? You know, like I, I'm a I'm a small D Democrat at heart. Uh, I believe I believe that you know the more open this is, the better. The more people involved in the process are, the better. Um, I also believe that people need to like you know go off into a back room sometime and like figure out like the the, the real stakeholders got to go like oh can we do this? Um, that's that's part of my personality too. Anyone who knows like the brain trust, we did that for a long time. We we didn't talk about it. We weren't going like whoa man come you know we were just like all oh, like we've got needs. What do we need? Um, with that in mind, uh, expect expect changes because we need revenue. End of story, right? This is a long song and dance around the fact that um, I, I would very much like this to be the only thing I do. I'm just putting that out into there into the world. Gonna hippie it for a second. That's 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 my my question to the universe. Um, can this be my full time job? Can this uh, also help pay Catherine and Anthony and Jessica? Can it, you know, maybe pay Juliet sometimes who's freelancing for us Can Carly get something, all the folks who are, you know, helping out on the regular, the freelancers who are coming in, the folks who pitch us stories who we can't pay and thus we can't take, who can't really write anywhere else because no one's taking the story yet. We know that this is the future. We know this. I'm asking you to help us prove it. That's the challenge. Coffee's working. That's the challenge. We know where things are going. We know we're building a better tomorrow. Cheesy as that sounds. We know it. Now we need to prove it. We need to prove it to the people who are doing ad activations. We need to prove it to the people in the, the theme park C-suites. We need to prove it to the people in um, you know city governments who are like, what are these crazy kids doing? I don't understand. We need to prove it. And in this society, you prove that with ching cream dollar dollar bill y'all all right that's enough of me butchering butchering uh, wu-tang um and indeed that was some butchery uh riz is gonna hunt me down man um let's do the credits here we go the music for no Persinium, as always is by chris porter of the speakeasy society our sustaining backer is ross sigworth of the rascaler club in san francisco the staff of No Persinium these days, uh, I see Jessica and Catherine and Anthony and Carly, and I see Juliet uh, over there helping out on the side, and I see KJ writing, and I see Max who hopped in this week, and I see Killian who is, has got some stuff on deck for us, and I see some other folks who I'm not talking about yet uh, who are maybe out there right now. And, uh, I adore you all and, uh, you, you make my life great. <laughs> you also drive me nuts. Uh, but I'm so glad that you're on this adventure with me. Um, uh, it's been a long time out here in space by myself and now I've got a crew and, uh, first star on the right, straight on till morning. I'm Noah Nelson. This is No Persinium. Until next time, I'll see you at the show.